0: Ave, and welcome to Emperors of Rome, a podcast about the rulers of the ancient Roman Empire. I'm your host, Matt Smith, and with me today is Dr. Sonia Worcester, an honorary fellow in the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies at the University of Melbourne. This is episode LXXI, Meditations. Very little that has been written by emperors has survived to the modern day. Among the great missing works we know of are Hadrian's Autobiography, and, of course, Domitian's instructional manual, Care of the Hair, As my flowing locks can attest, the world is a poorer place without these works, but we do have the Meditations, written by one Marcus Aurelius. The Meditations are Marcus Aurelius's private musings. They were mostly written while he was on campaign during the Marcomannic Wars, and while they lack extensive details, they give a rare insight into the mind of an Emperor. And the popularity of the text has shaped our modern understanding of the thoughtful Roman leader. Here's Sonia Worcester.
1: So the meditations are a collection of private thoughts that Marcus Aurelius wrote to himself about Stoic philosophy. And they're often thought of as exercises. So the idea being that you enabled yourself to live this Stoic life by practising these precepts. And you practice them in your actions, but you also have to practice them in how you think about situations. So I guess my impression when I read them is that it's him reminding himself of certain precepts that he's maybe struggling with or which are applicable to particular circumstances in his life.
0: So you say private thoughts, so is this like a a diary, him trying to make sense of what he's gone through in the recent times?
1: Yeah, they're a diary, really, and there's obviously been discussion about whether he ever intended them for publication or not, and I guess that's not a question we can answer. They certainly have that ring of being written for himself in the sense that, you know, sometimes they're quite long and developed ideas, sometimes they're very short, so you kind of get the impression that he was maybe tired one night and Mm. just had a moment and jotted down something that came to mind. So, in that sense, they're very free-flowing and varied. The nature of them can be quite varied.
0: Mm. What does the work comprise of then?
1: He often will have a user quotation from someone else as a starting point for an idea. They really like sound bites, um, if that makes sense. So, they're nice, quite discreet comments or thoughts about a particular topic. So, Mm. for example, he may be talking about um, how his treatment of other people or something like that. So, he might have a little saying or thought about that.
0: Yeah, it's a very quotable kind of content.
1: Extremely quotable. Yeah. Uh, every time I read them, it really hits me how quotable they are.
0: There's 12 books that he's written, or at least they're divided into 12 books now, and he originally wrote them in Greek, didn't he?
1: He did, that's right, which is – he either wrote them in Greek because that was the language of philosophy and it was sometimes felt that Latin didn't always have the vocabulary to express – the Greek ideas. Obviously, people like Cicero tried to work against that perception and there were Romans who wrote in Latin, but Marcus Aurelius would have learnt philosophy in Greek. Yeah. So, maybe it was easier for him. I mean, he was obviously extremely bilingual and so would have been comfortable writing in both languages.
0: How did Marcus Aurelius become familiar with philosophy
1: then? So, he learnt it through a person called Unius Rusticus and Rusticus learnt it from Epictetus, who is a really important figure for the transmission of ancient philosophy.
0: So he would have learnt this from a young age, then as yes, part of his very education. Much his education, yes. But he also seemed to have developed a, a real interest in it. In particular, he lent towards Stoicism.
1: You never fully understand or know why someone inclined towards something, but there were certain synergies, I think, between Stoicism and Roman culture and thought. Yeah that you don't find so much with other philosophical schools. Um, I think that they're kind of core precepts. So, yes, they had this more theoretical aim, or not theoretical aim because you're supposed to live your life by it, but the ultimate good for a, a Stoic was virtue, Yeah. Um, which is obviously seems like quite an abstract concept. But there were four main virtues, courage, wisdom, self-control and justice so you can see how those fit in with some traditional roman ideas so you know clementia for the romans the idea of being just to people to Mm. you know your fellow members of the elite or even i guess people in the army and so on so justice was a an idea that they had the idea of courage is important within roman traditions of masculinity Self control is, I think, also important. Wisdom is the more kind of abstract idea, but you can see that there are certain synergies between Stoicism and Roman thinking.
0: Can you give me some quotes and a bit of a sense of uh, of what Marcus Aurelius was thinking and how to apply to Stoic thought?
1: He seems to me quite obsessed with certain themes that come up a lot in his quotes or in his uh, exercises, so to speak. So he's really into providence, so the role of the gods. He seems very interested in the idea that life is not infinite, that you're going to die one day, and how, how to use stoic philosophy to deal with this idea, how to work towards being a good person, a good ruler, a good leader, kind to other people, not focusing on the wrongs that people do you and kind of moving forward from those, but focus on yourself as well. So these are all themes that I think come up a lot. And he also deals with how to be involved in political life in a constructive way. For example, he says in uh, Book 4, Section 1, he says, no action should be undertaken without aim or other than in conformity with a principle affirming the art of life, by which he just means everything you should do in life should conform to the idea of being virtuous, because that's what your aim is as a Stoic, is to to be a, a good, virtuous person. Mm. And he said, so everything you do, you should always come back to that principle. He says, you know, people want to retreat from the world, so they want to go to the country, by the sea, in the hills. He writes to himself as you sometimes, so you yourself are particularly prone to this yearning. So there's obviously some tension that he has where he feels the pressure of being emperor, as one would imagine you would. Mm. And he says, you know, that idea of wanting to withdraw a completely understandable one. But he says, this is not a good thing. He says, "Uh, but all this is quite unphilosophic when it is open to you at any time you want to retreat to yourself or into yourself. No retreat offers someone more quiet and relaxation than that into his own mind. So he's actually saying... I can't always physically withdraw or retreat because I'm an emperor, but I can always retreat into my own mind, mm. which I think is quite a kind of reassuring thought in a way that doesn't matter what's going on, you can always look after your own kind of mental health, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, he seems very, um, I, I don't want to say preoccupied, but it, it's very kind of emotive language as well. Is, is this meant to be a philosophical text that he was writing?
1: I think that is a good question. Would, would he
0: think of it as being a philosophical text?
1: They're obviously engaging in philosophy. Mm. And so, in that sense, they're philosophic. And they're certainly exploring questions related to Stoicism, so they're philosophic. But this idea that they're almost like reminders to himself about how to behave, it's a different sort of way of writing philosophy than, say, what you see in Cicero or what you see in Aristotle or Plato. mm or philodemus or some of these other texts we have. But I think he would have thought of them as being philosophical in in theme.
0: I get the impression, though, say, by referring to himself and by being a lot more open, that he was the only audience intended for this manuscript.
1: I think so. But then again, as a public figure, mm. he must have known that when he died that everything that he possessed would be examined and looked at for public consumption. So, it's kind of like that tradition of writing letters and then the fact that after your death, your letters might get published. Yes, yeah. And maybe he didn't know for sure whether or not that would happen, but there's nothing in the content that belittles him or makes him look bad, I don't think.
0: Yeah, yeah. What other insight can we get from his texts?
1: He's obviously captures very nicely how we all have an internal struggle in life. And so I like it in book seven. He says the art of living is more like wrestling than dancing in that it stands ready for what comes and is not thrown by the unforeseen. Trying to capture there the idea that, you know, how a wrestler is quite tough and strong and they kind of stand very firm and can withstand You know, someone coming and trying to throw them down onto the mat. Mm. He is obviously describing the philosophy is what keeps him firm. Stoic teachings is what helps keep him firm in life. Okay. As opposed to dancing where it's all fluid, you're reacting to music. He's also really interested in how humans interact with one another. So he spends a lot of time talking about how you should treat people. Men are born for the sake of each other. Either teach or tolerate So if someone annoys you or they're doing something that goes against your beliefs, you've got two options. You either have to put up with it or you can try and help them kind of see your viewpoint. And that idea is a kind of key one for Stoics because it's something called oikiosis, which is the idea that we have an innate sense of self-love and that we have an innate sense of belonging to ourselves But they broaden this idea out to say that as a parent, you have an innate love for your child and that actually more broadly as human beings, we have an innate love for each other because we're all governed by reason. We're all rational humans. And so you look for what's the same in other people. And on that basis, all humans should have respect for each other because all humans have reason.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so why was Stoicism a popular philosophy in ancient Rome?
1: I have this kind of seemingly abstract idea of virtue being the aim, but when you boil it down, I had four main virtues that were important to them. And those four main virtues were very had synergies with Roman ideas about how to behave anyway. Mm. So, I think that's one reason it was popular. A second reason why stoicism was comfortable for the Romans is because Stoics had a very strong view of providence. So the idea that fate exists. Yes, you are responsible for your own moral actions, but you're part of kind of like a a bigger chain of of being, so to speak, that's controlled by Zeus. Yeah. And I think the Romans were very comfortable with that idea of fate and providence, and it was something that they used to justify their empire. So, they often said that the gods supported their successes in war and hence their ability to conquer other people. Mm. So, Providence, I think a further reason why Stoicism was appealing to Romans was the idea being virtue is what you should seek. Everything else is either bad or an indifferent. Mm. And what they really meant by these indifferent is that, you know, you shouldn't in theory be too worried about wealth or health or whatever, but some of them are preferred indifference. So, of course, we'd all prefer to be healthy over being sick, to have money over being poor and to have fame over ill repute, like no one wants to be thought badly of. I think because of those reasons, it sat well with elite Romans who were very wealthy and they could sort of say to themselves, well, it's okay for me to have this money because it's a preferred indifferent. So I think that there's just sort of key synergies between Roman thinking and and Stoic philosophy. A
0: modern perception of Stoic philosophy is that it's trying to rid yourself of emotions on some level. Is that an accurate perception? And can you explain what the thinking of emotions was for Stoic philosophy?
1: Yes, the Stoics definitely argued that common emotions such as anger, fear, pleasure and pain uh, were not positive And in fact, they made quite a complex argument about emotions in that they said that they're actually not real emotions. So it's quite Mm. a technical argument. They called them pre-emotions. They said that in contrast, real emotions, which they called good emotions, they refer to it as an ascent to an impression that is right. So it means that you evaluate a situation and because you have the underlying right belief system, you'll be reacting correctly correctly to that situation. Whereas someone who displays anger is angry for all the wrong reasons because they're attaching importance to something that's not important.
0: So the true emotion is the clarity that you have after the emotion is out of your system.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there were emotions that were okay for Mm. them. So let me give you some examples. So they said that caution, prudent caution was a genuine emotion. Okay. Making a- For the record,
0: she just quotation-fingered emotion. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel like
1: <laughs> it's such a kind of odd term. Prudent caution is an okay emotion to have. Yeah, wh- do-
0: whereas nowadays we would not In- apply the word emotion to no, prudent that- caution. That's right. That's right.
1: Exactly. And rational wish. So making a calculated wish about something that's going to contribute positively to your virtue. Yeah. That's okay. That's an emotion. That's a good emotion. And joy is a positive emotion. Okay. That one sticks around then. Yeah, that's right. And as I said, they have a very cognitive view of the emotions, as in your underlying belief system is fundamentally important for how you react to a situation. Mm. So a Stoic sage will not be angry about something because they're not going to attach any importance to the thing that's making them angry.
0: Yeah. Okay, so it's not only controlling your emotions it's it's not feeling them to begin with that's right so it goes beyond that which is so it must be very hard to live in that manner if, it, if it's even possible at all everybody feels anger whether they contain it or not that's right i mean i know about stoic philosophy from my many years of watching star trek as a nerdy teenager yeah <laughs> and i was watching star trek last night but anyway but that's all about containing emotions it's still feeling it so has stoicism changed then in the way that we think about it now.
1: I think it's it even had changed within antiquity. Right. So, the early Stoics were much more extreme about emotions than later Stoics were. Yeah. And I think in theory, you're right, the Stoic sage won't even feel the emotion because they'll have trained the brain, so to speak, train themselves so much that they won't get angry about lots of situations because they understand that the reason why they would have been angry isn't a real reason to be angry. Yeah. And it's obviously I think quite a difficult thing to achieve. Yeah. And I guess that's that's what you see in Marcus Aurelius's meditations is him reminding himself of why he should react in certain ways in certain situations. Yeah.
0: So as far as texts go, I guess we should be very grateful that we have the meditations as a text because they are one of the very few texts that we have that a Roman emperor has written. But at the same time, it's it's hardly a diary that he wrote of his many battles on the front lines kind of thing. There'd be some people who would prefer that, but... I guess it's not the case for you. You'd be, you'd be very grateful that we have the meditations, but yeah. why should we be grateful that we've got this as a text?
1: Well, I think it actually humanizes Roman emperors because for so often we're stuck with, like, you know, Suetonius' view of how they were behaving. Mm. We're stuck with hostile sources, who are uh, members of the elite, who were annoyed that they didn't have more power. So I think it's quite an interesting contrast to see this person's inner thoughts and feelings about how to deal with being a Roman emperor. Yeah. You know, he starts off in book one with all these people who are really important to him, and I think that that's a very interesting starting point.
0: Oh, I, li- I like that. Even if it's somebody that he doesn't like, he finds something nice to yeah, say about them, doesn't right. he? Yeah, that's right, yeah. He doesn't say much about them. No. But, but he'll at least, <laughs> He'll you know, try, that's he'll, right. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think um, we call that positive intent now, yeah. where you try to look at someone's actions and not just dismiss them out of hand and look for a positive in that person, or at least try and think, well, they don't mean to be doing that or whatever else. So yeah. So, I think... They're quite modern to read. I don't know if other people feel that way about them. But I find them very, in comparison to a lot of other ancient philosophy, they're extremely readable. Obviously, that's because they don't have all the argumentation behind them, as in Marcus Aurelius must have known all of the arguments that were going on between the different philosophical schools because he obviously is countering a lot of Epicurean claims in his text. But at the same time, they're very readable because they don't have that uh vitriol that you sometimes find where you don't have that toing, angry toing and froing. Yeah,
0: yeah. So did you want to finish it on a quote?
1: Sure. Let me find a good one. All right, I'll start. This is from book five and he says, So display those virtues which are wholly in your own power, integrity, dignity, hard work, self-denial, contentment, frugality, kindness, independence, simplicity, discretion and magnanimity. And I like that because it captures both how you should behave internally, but it also captures how you should interact with people around you. Mm. So, it's a good contrast. It means that you're always thinking, uh, yes, it's inward looking, but you're always thinking about other people as well, which I think is is a nice sentiment. Another one from book six, do not imagine that if something is hard for you to achieve, it is therefore impossible for any man or any person but rather consider anything that is humanly possible and appropriate to lie within your own reach too. So if you work hard, you can achieve things.
0: That's Dr. Sonia Worcester, Honorary Fellow in the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies at the University of Melbourne. And you have been listening to Emperors of Rome. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it in iTunes. Please leave a review or a rating. The feedback is appreciated. You can like the Emperors of Rome on Facebook, and you can follow both myself and Sonia on Twitter. Sonia is at Dr. Sonia Worster, and I am at Nightlight Guy. In the next episode of Emperors of Rome, yet another challenge surfaces for Marcus Aurelius, like he didn't need another enemy to begin with. Until then, I'm Matt Smith, you've been fantastic, and thanks for listening.